Before we begin, just giving you an update on our new subscription. It's called Dave McWilliams Plus on Apple. You just double click, you get no ads, and you get me and John, pure and simple. And Mac, you get early access to episodes. Did you know that? Sure. My day is made. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is time for the podcast, the podcast that makes economics a little bit more comprehensible, a little bit hopefully more relevant to everybody's life. And it is profoundly relevant. And John, today we're going to talk about not just the Irish economy, we're going to look at the Irish economy. Yeah, But for people listening who are not Irish, if you're listening, no matter where you are, what is happening in the Irish economy is a microcosm of what's happening in the global economy. Yeah. So the trends that we're going to talk about, the issues we're going to talk about, are as relevant to Mullingar as they are to Manitoba. And the reason is that we are in a globalised world. I just said Manitoba there, John, because we have a Canadian in the room. Yes. You know, we could have said Mullingar, Montana. We should have said Mullingar, Manchester. should have Mullingar, Montpellier. Mullingar, Mannheim. should have Mullingar. You know, exactly. We could have done all the M's. We could have been that kid in the back of the class when the teacher said, name all the capital cities with M. Exactly, exactly. Where are they now? Anyway, we're going to talk about the... How are you, Ed? I haven't I'm, seen you. I'm good. I'm sorry, I'm sorry I didn't introduce my partner oh, I'm just, I'm just here sitting in the corner. He's just yeah. a sound guy. You know the American I'm just a sound guy. No, I'm all good. I'm all good. Actually, one thing when you're, you're talking about how the global economy and and Ireland is a microcosm and we're pretty much all the same, except for, Mac, except for... Tell me. The UK are going backwards into the almost a pound, shillings and pence. They're getting rid of the metric system and going back to the imperial system of stones and pounds and inches and feet and... Wow. Hands. Yeah, hands. (laughs) Furlongs, yeah. hands. And paying in guineas and stuff. Guineas. Well, I tell you now, John, now that you mentioned this, Ooh, now oh. that you mentioned it, it is kind of funny. Now, we had we we did do a UK bit the other, the other, the other week, and they, and they are now, they are waving the flag a lot over there yeah, at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And well, in fairness, they have their, their jubilee. There's no fairness about that. Okay, just go on. There's no on. fairness about that. Having a monarchy, having a monarchy, copper bottoms, the class system. 
Yes. Because it basically means that that person's special and you're not, and all the little people go, oh, yeah, but they're not the only people who have a monarchy, in fairness. No, no, all monarchies are ridiculous. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is back to my, it's funny you talk about, you talk about now, there, is, there is a link, there is a link between pounds, shilling, pence, weights, yeah. monarchies, yeah. and decimalization. And kilos. Go on. Now, right. Okay I'll, okay, I'll take you back a bit of history. Okay. We are going to talk about the Irish economy in a minute. But take you back. Now that you've, now no, that you've piqued my interest yes, in it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm taking you back to... Throwing him a fish and I'm he's talk, off. I'm talking... And he, and he fucking eats a whale. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking... I'm taking you back to Andrew Hamilton. Do you remember our friend Andrew Hamilton? The musical. The musical, Yes, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Based on the American Revolutionary. Yeah. Andrew Hamilton... In 1792, introduces in the United States a thing called the Dollar Act, which actually makes the dollar legal tender in America for the first time ever. Okay. But one of the main ruptures with the old system was that they introduced the cent. They decimalized the dollar. Okay. Okay? So they had one dollar, had a hundred cents, and that was the way it was broken up. Now, the reason they did this is they wanted to break with everything British. And the British had inherited a variety of different measurements and weights. So the pound, the guinea, the shilling, right? Yeah. So what the American revolutionary said is, we're going to have our new country. Our new country is going to have nothing to do with the old country. And that's going to start by changing the decimalization of the currency. Right? Right, okay. Okay. And the decimalization of the currency was seen as a very radical move because they regarded the old way with the pound. Yeah. Now, amazingly, you know the you know the the sign for a pound in England? Yes. It comes from Libra. It's the original Roman sign for money. Didn't know that now. Right. That's, and of course the Romans were in London. Of course. The Romans yeah. were in England. So Londinium. It's Guinea, you mentioned, mm. comes from the country in West Africa called Guinea, yeah, where the West Africans mined gold, right? It was a massive trade from West Africa to North Africa. The North Africans gave the West Africans salt and the, the West Africans gave the North Africans gold. And when the Europeans and the Portuguese found, when they, they started to arrive in North yeah. Africa, they were thinking, where is this mythical place, right? And there was a city in what is now, I think, Sierra Leone, yeah. which was called Dijini. And the Brits thought that sounded like Guinea. And so everything that came from that city was associated with gold, and that's where the Guinea comes from. And that was up until quite recently. Boom, used it. that is good. It is good, Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But good. I come I like back that. to Andrew Hamilton. So the Americans introduced the decimalization of the currency, but interestingly, not of their weights. Because the Americans use miles. Right. Yes. And they use pounds, right? Yeah. But in other words, but the currency they thought was much more important. And of course, interestingly, do you know the, the country that first decimalized everything? That decimalization was seen as a rupture, was modern, it was forward thinking. Yeah. The pound, shilling, and pence was seen associated with the monarchy, was old fashioned, which is exactly what Johnson's going back sure, to. Sure, yeah, yeah. The people who really took it, decimalization, and the radicalism of decimalization into another level were the French revolutionaries. Yes. And they decimalized everything. So there was a hundred seconds in a minute, a hundred minutes in an hour. Think of it this right, way. Right, okay. 10 hours in nighttime, 10 hours in daytime. They also had 
They decided to abandon. Vouchers never flew. They, no, it, 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 it did. It's really, really, it worked for about 20 years. They had okay, 10 right. days in the week, 10 months in the year. Right. So do you, I'll tell you, and and not only did they do that, they changed the whole month structure. So nothing would refer back to either religion or the Romans. So take, for example, do you know the dish? Because you're good at food. I'm not good at food. (laughs) Lobster thermidor. Right. Do you know that? That's a dish. Right. right? And it comes from the French word thermidor. And thermidor was the name the French gave to the month of August. And okay. thermodynamics, as you know from Greek, means hot. Yes. So they called it the hot month. Yeah. Because <laughs> it yeah. was the hottest month. Now, Makes sense. Yeah. why they why they didn't want to call it August is because August was August from Augustus, yes. from the yeah, emperor. Yeah. So they wanted to abandon everything to do with it. And they actually ran with this extraordinary system of 10 days, of 10 months, of hundreds of seconds. It was an extraordinary so, system. So, so the how French did... revolutionary calendar is one of the most amazing documents to look at in terms of saying to everything that went before, yeah. screw you, we're in the modern world. So it lasted 20 years. How did it come to an end? It just clearly wasn't workable. It was incredibly different. It was incredibly difficult to work, number yeah. one. And number two, they couldn't export. So basically what the French did was when Napoleon comes in, mm. Napoleon's grand army says, we're going to export revolutionary values all around the world. Right? Yeah. Now think about it, they actually ended up conquering Egypt. Like they were, they were, they were miles from France, but the rest of the world just didn't, didn't take to it. And do you remember our friend who we mentioned, Talleyrand? Do you remember him? Yes, I do. The yeah. man re- referred to by Napoleon as shit it's in silk stockings, stockings, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. The that, tax collector. The tax collector. Not only was he a tax collector, he was a bishop. Right. He was the worst act- kind of tax collector. He was collector. an archbishop who had loads of moths. Yeah. And loads and loads of kids all <laughs> over the place, right? He worked for five regimes, right? And he eventually called time on the French calendar because people couldn't adopt it. It was just too radical, yeah. right? And then gradually, as the Napoleonic era came to an end and the treaty yeah. of this, that, and the other, they abandoned and it. And trade with other countries would have been almost impossible. It was, it was, it was just because you had similar weights or whatever. But to get back to the Brits... Yeah, go on. The historical significance is profound because the Americans went to decimalization to change the relationship with the colony and with the monarchy. The French, much more radical to change the relationship with the king. And how you weigh and how you measure says a huge amount about the system you're in. So the idea of metric is a democratic, radical, egalitarian notion. The Pounds, shillings, and pence harks back to an imperial age. And that's exactly what Johnson's doing. It's trying to bring the Brits back to an era that everybody else has abandoned. Yeah. And, and this is a benefit of Brexit. But but the, he's left with nothing else to change. I mean, that was one of the things that it was all, that was all part of the Brexit table thumping element of it. Was, yeah, pounds, shillings and pence. So I think what we'll expect from the UK is, do you remember, do you remember the penny with the big old hen on it? Yeah. <laughs> with the hen on one side and the Queen's mugshot on the other. Yeah. That'll be back. There'll be yards of ale, right? <laughs> There'll be furlongs. There'll be steeple chases. These are all measurements, right? There'll be hands. Yeah. But I'll leave you one weird thing is the way in which you measure says a lot about everything. Do you know that most 
so most, the reason we use 10 is because we count it with our fingers. Yeah. Right? So we had five fingers and five fingers. So it was easy for us, right? But certain cultures have base 20. So we've base 10. So yeah. five, 10, blah, 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 right? Certain countries have base 20. So imagine the French expression for 80 is cap fan. Yeah. for 40. So that means that in somewhere in the legacy of the French language, there was a tribe that predated the Romans who used base 20 as their foundational base for mathematics. So it was five in one hand, five in the other hand, five toes in one foot, five toes in the other. And that's how they counted. Right. So right. the way yeah, we yeah. measure tells us a huge amount about our ancestors as well. And the Brits are just harking back to ancestry. Well, Mark, another amazing trip through <laughs> historical decimal just, points. You, you just kind of get, got me going on something that I was thinking about. No, it's I, all good. I love that I stuff. Been, I've, been, I've been sitting away last night worrying about Andrew Hamilton and the Dollar Act. <laughs> I could tell you more about that, but that would really bore you. Yeah, no, no, no. Let's move on. What's Let's on your on. mind? What's in your mind this week, well, Sunshine? You know, all for the last couple of weeks, the big story in all the papers and all the radio stations and stuff, is the airport. Oh, God, yeah. But I know that you have a little theory about this and what it reflects and what it means for the economy. Yes. What does it say about What does it say, right? So basically, for Irish listeners, you know exactly what's going on. For non-Irish listeners, our airport has been absolute chaos for the last Actually, two weeks. But hold on, by the way. And Schiphol in, in Amsterdam yeah, and, and Manchester. And the whole lot. So, so basically what we're seeing is this massive, massive queues at security. And what you're actually seeing in the economic sense, John, is this huge pent-up demand mm. post-pandemic. So the weird thing about the pandemic was the following. 
is that had you said to anybody, we're going to shut down the economy, our immediate idea would say, well, that's going to make income collapse. But actually what happens is the government paid everybody's wages. So incomes didn't collapse. In fact, incomes went up and savings went up. Okay. So those savings that went up over the last two years, people want to use now. Right. And one of the things people want to do is they want to travel. They haven't traveled for ages. This is the first summer of free travel within Europe. So this massive spike in demand for travel. Everyone needs a tan top. Well, people like me just need to go a little bit more pink. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the other hand, you had places like the airport, of course, completely shut down. And then the people who ran the airport said, well, we're going to lay off workers. We're going to give voluntary redundancies. And then what has happened is in the old days, those workers would have come straight back into the jobs, but they haven't done. So what you, and we'll talk about that in a second. So what you have is massive demand, totally contracted supply, and you have queues. Now, queues are just the physical manifestation of what we call in economics inflation. Yes. Right? Yeah. So inflation is actually I, what I, happens. That's very visual. I really like that. Yeah. that so basically, yeah, yeah. a queue is inflation, right? Yeah. So inflation happens when you have a constricted supply, increased demand, and the price of that supply goes up, right? Yeah. But in the airport, you can't increase price. Well, they could actually, if they wanted to, which would be... Well, they were talking about that, to be honest. Do the Uber surge pricing, you know? So if you want to get a Ryanair flight at 6 a.m., you've got to pay more, not less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's actually happened is the opposite of surge price. It's discount pricing at the wrong time. So if you think the whole price system doesn't work in the airport, so what you have, therefore, is the queues are the physical manifestation of what we call inflation. And the only way in which you're going to actually bring those queues down, is increase the supply of workers, yeah. uh, security workers. And apparently you can't do that very quickly because of security clearance and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what it does is it tells us a small microcosmic story of what's going on in the global economy or the more general economy, which is that traditional companies that typically need workers yeah. are finding it very, very hard to find workers despite the fact that more people are at work than any other time ever. And that's the that's the dynamic. Because people don't want to work for the man. People don't want to work for the man. So right. people want to work for themselves. So this yeah. is the huge change since the pandemic. So I'll give you a story about a hairdresser. Go on. Yeah, yeah. Because we're you, talking barnets, okay? Yeah. Talking barnets, right? And you with your fop head. I tell you, right? I, I was talking to somebody last weekend who was talking to a hairdresser. And the hairdresser was talking about... Going anywhere nice in your holidays. Exactly. (laughs) She was trying to... The hairdresser was talking about trying to get hairdressers to work for her in her salon. Right. So this this one was saying that the the hairdresser, a colorist, right? Yeah. Came in and says, I'll work two days a week. I'll work only for cash. I'll work no Saturdays. And I'll call my hours the day before for you. Right? Jesus. So basically what the... This, and this is happening all over the place, yeah. right? So what we're finding is that what has happened is that hairdresser, right? The one who said, I'm only going to work two days a week. Yeah. During the pandemic, she was going to people's houses to cut their hair. Yeah. So therefore, she builds up a client base. They're all maybe on her WhatsApp and her on her WhatsApp sure, group, yeah, right? Yeah. She builds up the client base. Her mobile phone becomes her salon. She does her work in the client's house, the client is happier because it's private and maybe the client yeah. doesn't, you know, that sort of thing. She feels a bit more special, so, a bit more yeah. kind of individual. service, John, as they call it. it. Yeah. Spoke service, right? There's no rent. She's not paying any rent. Yeah. She's not paying any rates, right? So basically what the pandemic has done, it's taken the salon out of the relationship between the hairdressed 
yeah. and the hairdresser, right? Yeah. Now imagine that happening on a monumental scale all over the world in every industry, because that's exactly what's happening. So hang on a second. Let me let me just stop there. You just said that there's no rates, there's no rent, and it's just client to punter, client to absolutely, punter, absolutely, which is great. But when you're one, the colorist is saying she wants to get paid in cash. Is there a huge black hole in income tax then and VAT for the government? Well, I'm sure this is more to do with the black economy. So the black economy is probably increasing, right? And we're going to come mm. back to that because it's a, it is a very good point because we're moving to to something that may be a generational shift in the way we work. Yeah. So what I think this is happening now is what I would call the artisanization of the workforce. So do you remember in the old days, you know, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, you had the artisan. And the artisan basically worked, did his thing or her thing, and ultimately sold directly to the seller. So that's what was happening. So in loads and loads of businesses, people who have skills are saying, I actually don't need to work for the man. I don't need to work for a company. I can actually do it myself. So what we're seeing is not so much the economy going forward, but the society kind of going backward to go forward in terms of structure. Now, it has huge ramifications for the way the economy works. Yeah, and the way companies work. Well, the company may may well be an interesting thing. We think the company is a permanent thing. Well, put it this way, you know, the whole idea of a company in this context yeah. is that the company is greater than the sum of its parts. Yes. And then can offer more services at a better rate and all the rest, whereas an individual is chasing gig by gig. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so is there a point where there's so many people who are self-employed that it starts working against the economy, especially, as you say, if there's a an element of black economy going yeah, on as well? Well, I mean, that's just the matter of the efficiency of the tax system, that to get its act around. Like, I mean, we're self-employed and we yeah. have to do VAT returns every single month. Pain in the arts, right? yes. But, but I mean, so, yeah. but I I think there's something even bigger going on here, which is the following, right? Companies never really agreed with me. I never <laughs> no, <thought> no. <laughs> you never agreed with them either. I never agreed with them, right? But there was something that always struck me odd about a company, right? A company is a relatively recent organizational concept. It's about 120 years old. Really? Yeah. So okay. basically what you see is large companies becoming material in the economy at the end of the 19th century. Yeah. This is when the big companies... Well, it was with the, the Industrial Revolution just kicking off and that well, What it was, it was mainly to do with the extraordinary intensification of work. And it was mainly to do with structures like the industrialization of workforces and ways in which working... So the idea was that the company would create efficiencies coming from scale. So rather than getting a thousand artisans working in a little places tinkering away on their own, you'd put those thousand artisans in a production line and you would generate specialization. This goes back to the Adam Smith idea of the Adam Smith talked about pin makers, John. He really dull stuff. Don't talk about it. (laughs) But he was he was he was intrigued by people who made pins, right? right? And nails. But anyway so it comes back to this idea that, that probably just speaks volumes about him and it's yeah well yeah I know I know but he was an interesting fellow we we, we might actually do a whole series on 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 great economists beginning with Smith because he wrote lots of interesting things yeah but it'll come back so the company's this organization structure that as you said reeks efficiencies out of scale yes right what always intrigued me about companies was the following is that a company like the ones I worked for right they worked 
externally in the competitive market. So they competed against other companies, right? Yeah. For products, right? And in, in, in a competitive market. Mm. But once you got into the company, competition stopped, right? So what, what made a company special to the consumer was the competitive edge of their product. Yeah. But once you got into the company, actually competition disappeared. Amongst actually, the workers. Yeah, and what dictated people's progress was politics, was bureaucracy. That's true. Was the opposite yes, of actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, this, I'm trying to intellectualize my failure as a company manager <laughs> on here, right? Okay. But this intrigued me years ago. When I worked for large companies, I used to think to myself, okay, so we're this, you know, in my, my case, it was a big bank. Yeah. Right? So this big bank, and we're comp- competing against other big banks out there, right? Yeah. And in the marketplace, we're kind of cutthroat and we're really competitive, la, la, la. But then you go back in on Monday morning to the bank and all those competitive urges that made you special outside yeah. were actually acted against you inside. And inside, all you had was the mech. It was like working for the Communist Party. I always thought like, working for a large company was, was <laughs> like being in the Soviet right. Union nine to five yeah. and being in America outside, right? In turn, you were, comp- yeah. you were competing. So you was like being working in the Soviet Union and expected to be an American when it came to competing with your... With That's very good. And this has intrigued me. But, but, you know, it is interesting, though, now. I mean, particularly a lot of tech companies now put so much store in their own individual company culture, giving the company as a whole a competitive edge. Yeah. But I see what you mean it's about the, the individuals within the company. You know, how do they kind of interact? And Because they do need to compete. To but get the promo- but, promotion, but, but the promotion and that is, kind of stuff. The thing is, they don't. And I mean, so what I what, what is what is hilarious is that this company culture is just a shorthand for tarting up a bureaucracy. Okay, that's like one our, way of looking at our it. Our bureaucracy right, is yeah. different to your bureaucracy, right? Yeah. Look at that, look, bureaucracies have to work. It's not I'm not I'm not against them per se, but I mean, one of the actually you were the one who quoted to me one of the great quotes. You talk about tech companies. What was Elon Musk said this week about? The economy. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's, in his in his in his yeah. articulate. Yeah, he said he's got a super bad feeling about the economy. <laughs> Fucking James Joyce, he isn't that fella, right? And as a result of his super bad feeling, he fired ten percent. Yes, exactly, exactly. exactly. <laughs> he have a super bad feeling. But anyway, to come back, right? So, what is this saying about the economy? If lots and lots of people are reverting to the artisan relationship, they're saying, "I don't want to work on the assembly line." Yeah which yeah. is the, the hairdressing salon. Yeah. Because I can make more cash and be a more free individual, be more sovereign. And for lots and lots of, let's say, for example, women who are working in hairdressing who are young, they have childcare issues. They start paying their childcare costs of fortune, whereas they can be flexible and, you know, deal with their parents or their neighbours or their mum. They can actually work around it, yeah. right? And they're coming out with more cash, more freedom. They don't really care about security. So what they're saying is that we're turning our back on the assembly line. And this, I believe, is happening in every single sector. Yes. And this explains this bizarre situation where we've more people at work in Ireland yeah. and almost in every other country than any other time in our history, and we've more job vacancies, which shouldn't make any sense. Yeah. Right? Those job vacancies should be filled. And the best way if you go to things like Indeed, which is one of these big job job search yep. places, yeah, yeah. what is happening is people are opting out of the rat race. Yeah. And it's a really big but change. This, but this, like all psychologists and all kind of whatever over the last while, we've been bombarded with this obsession of work-life balance. So opting out of employment, 
by the man is the ideal solution yeah, to the worker. So you have control you over your 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 day to day life. You take the balance out of it. So yeah. so if if that's what we're looking at, you know, what's what's the upshot of this? Where do we end up? Well, the idea is that what when we were young, well, actually when almost when almost everybody listened to this podcast, no matter what age you are, yeah, there has always been the concept of the company, yeah. And the company being the most efficient place to work. This is my Soviet Union on the inside, United States on the outside. Okay. (laughs) And you went in and you did your job and you clocked in, you clocked out, right? Okay. Because the company gave you security. So the history, the labor history, let's say, of the 20th century has been constantly de-risking your life. So when we were kids... Our mothers always said, get a good job in the civil service. Yeah, right? yeah of course. Okay. Yeah. It's all and, about the pension. Yeah. And the whole idea was that to de-risk your life because risk was really bad. And the deal was you'd have less risk in the company, but you'd make less money. You get less well paid, but yeah. you'd have security. Yeah. Right. And that was very much the story of the 20th century, particularly in the West. Yeah. And the maybe the high point of it was in the late 20th century. Mm. Now with technological change, social change, etc., right, what we're seeing is people are saying, hold on a second, I can actually do this for myself. And what we see in the data, it's the data is the killer, is exactly this. We see lots and lots of people working and yet lots and lots and lots of jobs unfilled, right? Yeah. So what we've gone from is a period when we were younger in Ireland of deficient demand and loads of supply. Yeah. So we didn't have enough jobs, we had loads of people. Now we've loads of jobs and not enough people. And of that cohort of not enough people, a part of the reason they haven't enough people is people are opting out and doing it for themselves, right? And this is what I think is going on. And therefore what you see is a huge split in the labour force. So what's coming down the track? The Central Bank in Ireland, and this is going to be the same for most countries, did a survey last week. They published it actually on the 1st of June, last week, right? which talked about inflation expectations. And it said the average Irish household believes that inflation will be running at about 10% this year. Okay. Now that's a service, so let's see what happens, yeah, right? Yeah. What that means is that unless wages rise, i.e. unless the hairdresser, who's actually decided to opt out and get higher wages, right? She's going to be fine. But unless your wages rise at 10%, there's going to be a real income fall across the board, yeah. right? Now, if there's a real income fall across the board, what you're going to get is you're going to get industrial relation problems all over Europe, right? Yeah. But Ireland, let's focus on Ireland, okay? What's going to happen is the workers who are getting, let's say, 3% wage increases in an inflation environment of, let's say, 7% are getting a 4% cut in their take-home pay. Yeah. Right? So those people are going to go on strike, right? But who are they? They're a combination of people who work in the public and the private sector. Yes. Now, the private sector workers can always negotiate with the private sector bosses to say to the boss, well, do you know what? Your costs don't need to go up, but your profits might need to go down. Yeah. Right? And that's a negotiation that will happen. And I think profitability will fall, right? But the public sector workers is different because there are no profits. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the public sector workers here will obviously agitate for higher wages. As if I was their trade union rep, I would say, go for it. Mm. But the only way in which the government can actually give them higher wages, because the government doesn't make any profit, so there's no profit to eat into, 
is they have to charge everybody else higher taxation. Yeah. Or they have to run a bigger deficit. And I think that's where we're going right now. I think everything is screaming an industrial winter ahead of us. With industrial, a winter of discontent. A winter of discontent. Yeah. You can give us really? the quote from Shakespeare, I'm sure. You know. Anyway, yeah, because I can't see any other way out of it. The private sector workers can negotiate with their bosses. And then there's freelancers like us. Yeah, well, I was going to say- Who negotiate with ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, but, that, but that's the problem as a freelancer is you can't just jack up your price going, yeah, I'm just going to, you know, charge another 100 quid a day or whatever. Or whatever it is, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's much harder to do that. So you have because to- Because you get the pushback as And well. so as a freelancer, you have to actually, if you want to keep your, your costs competitive, you actually have to eat into your own profit margin. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, okay? yeah. Okay. And that's what everyone has to do. And that's the way the economy adjusts normally. For the public apart, sector. Apart from the public sector. Public sector guys. Oh, John's gone. He's no, gone don't all, get me started. He's gone all Daily Telegraph. <laughs> it is the Daily Express, the public sector. But the public sector is where you get industrial relation problems in the modern economy. Yeah. And it's very clear to me that the way in which the dynamic is moving is that we are heading into two cleavages. One is between the public sector unions and the government. Mm. But the more that is aggravated, the more that is aggravated, the more you get this aggravation between the private sector workers and the public sector workers. Yeah, yeah, the private yeah, sector yeah, workers yeah. say, well, hold on a second. We're taking the less security for a higher wage. You guys have got loads of security and we don't want our taxes yeah, and going. Yeah, gold plays a pension. Just to play. So this is the scrap of... 2023 or 2024. And interestingly... I'm rolling up my sleeves already. Rolling up my sleeves already. But it looks not so much newfangled, but old-fashioned. And yeah. ironically, yes. as the society yeah. and the economy becomes more modern, our fights and our conflicts become more traditional. While I have you there, Dorky Book Festival, What's Not to Love? One village, four days... 75 events, 100 speakers from all over the world, arts, science, culture, politics, economics, the whole lot. Check it all out at dokeybookfestival.org. And you never know, we might all go for a pint. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course. And I want to talk about Club Med. Everybody knows Club Med has been the pioneer of the all-inclusive resort since 1950 with almost 70 resorts worldwide, ranging from beachside destinations in the Caribbean and Mexico to exotic locations like the Maldives and Morocco, or even the mountain destinations like Japan and the European Alps. Dine on delicious gourmet cuisine, enjoy more than 20 activities, and make memories with your family. For more information, visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor.